Welcome to the Dear Mr. Davis podcast. Today we have uh, myself, Brady, uh, Dylan, Andrew, and our special guest, Mr. Campbell here. Uh, Mr. Campbell, tell us a bit about what you do at this school here, <laughs> and then we'll get into some questions. Okay, what I do at the school is I'm the, uh, I teach chemistry, uh, physics, and math, and uh, chemistry at the honors level and AP level, physics at the honors level and AP level, and math, I teach math for college readiness. Woo! Very, <laughs> very smart guy. That didn't quite like algebra too. But they, uh, <laughs> Don't blame but them. Uh, uh, but they had to get that fourth year of the math in. So yeah, yeah. didn't want to okay. go to pre. And I'm also the science department chairperson. Okay. 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 Also, you do uh, NHS, right? Yes. Yes. I'm a, along with Miss Haberman, I'm a co-sponsor for NHS. NHS, yes, sir. All right. So I guess we'll start with some questions. Sure. I guess. Uh, yeah, let's start from the top. So, what was your life like when you were growing up? <laughs> really? Okay, I grew up in a family of 11 children. Wow. That's a lot of people. Uh, we had eight boys and two, you know, eight, nine boys and two girls. Okay. Um, I think my grandma had a Which, if you know anything there. about statistics, is very improbable to have that many more of one type than the other. But uh, my dad was a doctor, so we weren't poor, but by the time I rolled along, I was a ninth of 11 kids. There was not a whole lot of money to be had. You know, because they, you know, just get spent, you know, trying to send people to college and stuff like that. So, Eleven kids going to college. Oh yeah, my lord! <laughs> so I mean, I grew up Catholic. Obviously, if you know anything about uh, Catholics up north, they're they're used to having large families and stuff like that. So yeah, we had we had eleven kids, but I had a lot of I had a lot of friends out there that had eight or more kids. I knew one that had thirteen. And I think that must be. You know, 11 and 13 are the ones other than that I've seen the most, if you can believe that. But uh, we, back in the 50s when I was born, um, a lot of people smoked. In fact, almost everybody smoked. Like my parents both smoked, you know, it was just a thing. Everybody smoked, ladies and gentlemen, didn't matter. So I grew up in a house of only two of us didn't smoke. Out of the, out of the 13 of us, only two of us didn't smoke, and that sounds Sounds like a trivial thing, but yeah. So I never, I never had a hard time with smelling smoke and stuff like that. My wife, on the other hand, freaks out whenever somebody's, <laughs> you know, somebody's smoking a cigarette and they're, you know, thirty feet away. She seems to know what it's like. But uh, my mom in a nutshell. So I, you know, for schooling, I went to parochial schools, which uh, parochial schools, if you don't know, it is Catholic schools, and they go one through eight instead of. One yeah, through, that's what my school did. Yeah. So we went one through eight. I went to a, a pretty well-known Catholic school in Cleveland, Ohio. And then uh, for high school, I went to another Catholic high school. And, and where I lived, you you know, almost everybody went to a Catholic parochial high school if you could afford it. You know, it was considered to be really good education, although I don't, you know, in retrospect, I don't think it was any better than anything I've seen in public school. <laughs> True. But it was a purported to be, uh, you know, better education, you know. But uh, you know, honestly, the the people that were teaching there weren't weren't nearly as qualified as many of the people that I know now. So, you know, if I'd like to compare my education in science and math compared to what we do now, it's it's pretty minimal. I mean, what you guys are learning in chemistry and physics and math is probably way beyond what we learned. You know, but it was just the way it was. You know, they didn't we didn't specialize in AP level things, and people weren't really aspiring to try and get college credits. In fact, they didn't even have AP uh, courses in my high school, and yet it was considered to be a very good high school. But that was back in the 60s and early 70s. 
So I guess, yeah, we'll go in order. So after high school and obviously elementary school, uh, when you went to college, what did you choose to major in and why did you choose that? Um, I um, thought I liked science. Didn't really like math until I took calculus. How is that possible? How is that possible, man? That people that like yeah. science, you know, yeah, because yeah, they yeah, like yeah. seeing things happen, uh, but they don't really yeah. want to have to do the problem-solving aspect. And it's like, yeah. it's kind of like somebody likes, they think because they like physical science and they were pretty good at seeing things moving around, and that was cool. They like to see demonstrations, but heaven knows they don't want to go ahead and do the math. Yeah, really they don't want to do they physics wanna, to They just want to see it happen, it out. but they don't want to hypothesize why it occurs and, and maybe test it out and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I thought I was, uh, you know, I thought I was pretty good in science, but I didn't like math. Um, but when I took my first calculus course in college, that's when I got turned on to math. And it was really kind of easy. I mean, I shouldn't say really. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean it's logical and it's sequential. And if you're a person that, that does stuff in a sequential order and stuff like that, it's not terrible. It's just like numbers yeah, work. Like, let me let me put my sixty-two away really real quick for a pre-calc or calc <laughs> or something like that. But it's uh, you know, and unfortunately, if you're thinking about you know chemistry or physics or engineering as a major in college, you got you have no choice. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. I can't remember if it, you know who it was that said. Uh, I think it might have been Pascal that said, "Mathematics is the queen of sciences," you know, which means that. It's, you know, you can like science, but if you don't understand the underlying math, it's kind of hard to prove stuff yeah. and that really works. That's kind of why I like some of the physics and chemistry stuff we do. I like to set up an equation to verify things. And that's kind of fun for me. So it was kind of my freshman year. I did pretty good in chemistry. I think I had like the highest average out of a very large class. And so I thought it was pretty hot stuff. So I used to tutor a lot of people in math, and I actually helped a professor actually do some lecturing in, in general chemistry in college and stuff like that. So that turned me on. And so I was a lab, I was also a lab assistant and a TA, you know, even though I was only like a sophomore in college. So that kind of got me turned on to science in general, and certainly chemistry specifically. When you say in chem that like. 32 was an average test for that, for college chemistry. Well, that wasn't chemistry. Yeah. That, was in, that was in some of your engineering classes. Mm, yeah. It is not all, at all unusual. You're set, yeah. up to, you're set up to fail around. <laughs> <laughs> it's not at all unusual in engineering classes for a professor to give you questions that are like way beyond what your basic knowledge is. Literally, and I'm, I'm a firm believer now after all these years is that that even a test should not be an assessment, but it should be more of a learning experience where you actually go beyond what you know. You know, a good example would be our, our AP Chem test the other day that we had, where they had to kind of develop a formula so that they could figure out how to do something. Like and piece things together. Most people probably wouldn't like that to happen on a test because they're thinking, really, shouldn't I just be able to spit back knowledge that I already know? Well, yeah, if that's all you really want to do is be assessed, yeah, but if you want to learn, and as a, an educator, I think that everything that we do better be geared towards learning. Much like as a Christian educator, everything we do better be geared towards developing you know, good young Christian adults and stuff like that. That's got to be our bottom line here at Foundation, regardless of what we do. And if it doesn't do that, then we've kind of wasted our time. We could be teaching at a public school or something like that. 
So that's my idea of education in general. So I know you guys love that kind of stuff, right? Where you have to go yeah. on a test where you have to go beyond what you already know. Of course, of course. Yeah. It, does, it does make it like a little bit different. It makes yeah. the test like a little bit more like, I wouldn't say fun, but there's like a meaning behind the test. Like when yeah. I go into like math class, it's just like, it's just, <laughs> But you know, it doesn't make it more pleasant during the thing. It's like yeah, it's after like the fact you're saying, I got a 40 on that test, I'm an idiot. <laughs> And yet, when you find out that it was a B, it wasn't so bad. But it's yeah. because mm -hmm. the professor is trying to get pull everything out of you that they can. But to do that, they also have to be willing to, to make some kind of a scaled score so that you don't feel like a total failure. Mm -hmm. And also having to like put stuff together that helps you in the real world rather yeah. than just, you're not going to be given everything. Yeah, and you know, I hate to say it, and you guys probably complained about my never giving you the right units for formulas and stuff like that. <laughs> True. I'm never going to apologize for that because if you were to look up, if you Google stuff, like if you ask it for the density of a, a metal, it is not going to give you the units that you want. Talking about how, uh, you know, if you were to Google something, it's not going to give you the units you necessarily want. Nowadays, they're giving densities like kilograms per cubic meter. It's like, yeah, it's, that's not like, grant you know, like the... Yeah, give me an example. The density of aluminum is 2.72 grams per milliliter. But it ain't 2.72 kilograms per cubic meter because a cubic meter is huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, I mean, why would they use cubic meters? Because internationally things are shipped that way. So yeah. they're in large volumes instead of small ones. So mm -hmm. don't, you know, you know, so for people that just want to have a formula to plug into, well, you could, you could learn that online and just plug into it if you want to. That makes you feel smart. You know what I mean? So that's just me. And then I always told you guys about the story where the NASA had... Oh, that it blew they, up because yeah, of Yeah, they sent a, a satellite up there, but they didn't make a conversion from English to metric. And so they burned up a $150 million satellite. Just because... Who made not, that mistake? I'm sure a lot of heads rolled over that guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? who, who sat there and made that mistake? I feel so you bad. Probably Some dumb would. Physicist. I, I you would. probably would. <laughs> I you probably would. I actually kept a newspaper article like near the front door of my room. So if somebody complained about my... my <laughs> that's what's going to happen. <laughs> that's that's going to be you. That's going to be you. That's going to be you, you, kid. Well, thankfully, it's an unmanned satellite. But the point is that, I mean, that was 150 mil? That's a lot of money. Some serious heads are rolling. 150. $50 million dollars got blown up yeah. well, and burned. Just in retro, you know, for yeah. the uh, Hyatt Hotel, $100 million. That's all it cost. So that's think of, of one half of those hotels going down the tubes because you forgot to make the conversion. Yes. That's a little extreme, but you get my point. It happens. <laughs> it happens to the best of us accidentally burn $150 million. All right. So I guess, um, well, since you're talking about teaching, I guess we'll go into teaching. So why did you choose to go into teaching? Because I'm a fool. No. <laughs> Actually, you heard it here first. <laughs> when I used to tutor people in chemistry, I think you get a feel for, you know, hey, I like helping other people learn stuff, not just that, you know, by plugging into a formula or memorizing stuff, but I'd like to see the light turn on with some people. You know, some people it's like, oh gosh, trying to beat the beat it into the head. But when you see somebody all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I I got that now. You can't sometimes do that as a huge group, but you can certainly do it in a small group like this. And that's fun to watch, you know, and there's no doubt about it. So I thought because I was a pretty good tutor that maybe I'd be a good teacher. Um, um, that was in college. And then of course, after I graduated, I was commissioned as a, in the Navy. So I, you know, that kind of went by the wayside. 
but even there, you're still training people. I mean, on yeah. a submarine or on surface ships, you're training like 16 hours a day. So it's not like you're just you know chilling, you know, or something like that. You're drilling and learning new materials all the time. I mean, it's infamous on submarines where literally, if you're not on watch, you are literally learning somebody else's job and trying to figure out what you would do to get to get qualified. That that's all what it's about getting qualified for the next thing because if you're not qualified that means that this guy has to take double watches because you're not qualified I, don't want to and I guarantee watches, your siblings or your comrades are going to be saying wait a minute why aren't you qualified when you know you could be if you just spent some more time on that so you're literally spending half of your day doing nothing but trying to qualify for other positions so everybody covers their own what's that so everybody pretty much comes to a new college at the same time. Guys. So even <laughs> officers or enlisted are, are constantly trying to learn during the entire time. So it's not, you know, it's not, it's almost always an education for you. It, you're never not learning. Even when you're fully qualified for what you think is all you need, you're always trying to learn something. It's like, you know, I would suspect you guys learning new technology and stuff like that. You know, you know especially since it changes so fast. Yeah, you know definitely. I mean? Everything changes on every single day on this stuff. I think they say something like the knowledge base doubles every five years. It used to be, and now it's every like two years. Yeah, so I believe it's getting closer every year. The yeah. world is going up yeah, exponentially, yeah. so it's pretty wild. It's a good thing, but at the same time, kind of scary to see what people do with that knowledge sometimes. Yeah. So well, I think as a teacher, what's scary is to see a technology that seems like it's great, and then all of a sudden, two years, you know, down the road, it's like, oh, that's old stuff. Nobody uses that anymore, and that's kind of what turns me off about, so I don't want to say I'm turned off by technology, but I know when it comes down to it, it's just another way of learning something, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you're constantly having to find a new way to learn that, you know, bells and whistles only have so much. To me, I would rather use a blackboard, you know that. Yeah. <laughs> if I had a blackboard, like I'd be in heaven. But I mean, I would rather draw a picture of what's going on, the interactions, than mm -hmm. to go ahead and have Show fancy videos. Fancy videos yeah. exploding things, and they're just going, "Ooh, wow, that's really cool!" But I don't really care about why it happens. I just want to know that yeah. it happens. That that's just me. But it's fun to watch people that you know when when they learn, and uh, yeah, that, I think that's probably cool in almost anything. You know, that's just me. So then I guess after military talk, we'll go into uh, why did you choose to join the military in the first place? <laughs> we don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, you, you had to. I was uh, in an engineering program at Florida, and it's five years, or it was back then. Um, and I ran out of money after three years. There <laughs> <laughs> like, we go. You had to pay for it. I, I actually, you know, I had the chance to to take a Naval Academy, you know, uh, appointment and stuff like that out of high school. But I had no desire to go into the military at that point. I didn't know anything about it, and you know, even though it's a great place to go, I didn't think about it. But after three years of college, when I totally ran out of money, some person came up to me and said, "Hey, how would you know? How would you like to consider coming to the Navy as a nuclear power, you know, officer or something like that?" And I said, well, "I don't know what's that involved." So, uh, learned about it, and during the summer, I did a six-week thing up in Newport to, you know, like a they call a knife and fork school, where you kind of learn about how to salute and joke like that. And then I uh, came back and did an ROTC scholarship for two years, and. That led to, and if you do that, then you had to go to nuclear power. You had no choice as long as you got accepted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why I went into it, and I liked it. You know, 
I would have stayed in active duty for a long time, but my wife basically gave me the ultimatum and said, you know, we're either going back to Orlando or we're getting divorced. <laughs> wow. Well, no, I mean, wow. I, no, I mean, <laughs> she wouldn't have done that. But I mean, the point is, is that you have to, as a Christian, is like, okay, what's more important to me? You know, trying to rise, rise in the ranks as a, as a military officer or trying to have a happy life being married. Well, that was an easy decision for me. Uh, but I stayed in the reserves after doing six years of active, stayed in reserve for 20, and it still worked out really well. So I actually collect a retirement check now as a retired military officer. Um, and, you know, I probably could have stayed in, but it's difficult to do a whole career when you're gone 40 yeah. or 50% of the time and have a happy marriage. I mean, most, like most special forces people and stuff like that, their percentage of happy marriages is like 20 or 30%. <laughs> most of them get divorced pretty quickly. Yeah. Not that that's terrible, but, it, you know, I would rather be married and happy than to have, be an admiral. My dad always thought I was going to be an admiral. So I told my wife that while I was on deployment one time before when we were dating. She said, oh, Jim's going to be an admiral. So I was like, not if I have anything to say about it. <laughs> I'll take him back. <laughs> but that's, that's why I went in. And I, I stayed in because I liked it. But uh, And my wife's been much more supportive. You know, And in fact, it used to be that we, uh, we were gone or... When we were back, she would say two years later, so aren't we supposed to move now? It's been two years. We're supposed to go to a new job, aren't we? And it's like, <laughs> no, honey, I'm not in active duty anymore, so we can stay home. But then, yeah. so. So then I guess we'll go to the next one. Uh, sure. Speaking of military stuff. Speaking of military stuff, <laughs> indeed. Uh, what was life like on the submarines? As you mentioned, you're in the Navy, and you always mention submarines. And relate <laughs> to, you, always, you always relate them to physics or whatever class we're in. So uh, what was life like on the submarine? Like, how were things handled there? People have, uh, you know, outside images of what submarine life is like. It's, um, one, it's a real cramped space. You get used to surviving in a small amount of space. You don't have tons of room. You don't get to go outside and work out and things like that. Oh, guys. Um, <laughs> uh, your day is, when you're deployed, your day might be 18 to 20 hours long every day, seven days a week. It's not one of those, oh, it's Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Don't I get the day <laughs> off? No. You know, you're underway at sea. It's not like you get to, to get your weekend off and maybe another crew comes in. So you're, you may stand uh, eight hours of watches, if you will, like I was in engineering and then also in the bridge and things like that. But then uh, the, about... As an officer, you're spending about four to five hours of administrative time, like leading your, your division, you doing all the paperwork for them, training, documenting, all that kind of stuff. And then a lot of it is also drills. So there's literally only a, a couple of hours per day, maybe about five where you're sleeping. Okay, so, so people ask me how in the world I get by with four and a half hours of sleep. It's just, yeah, like standard, it. you, know, it's yeah. just you know, and you get used to it you know, all the time, but it's not hard to really do that. After about three weeks of being deployed, you get the system down and, you know, um, but it is relentless. So it's never ending. You're always drilling, learning, watching, standing watch, uh, doing paperwork, which is not my favorite thing, but it's, it's a necessary thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's really like being right here in this room. If when you're down 300 feet, it's like, oh, okay, it's just like this. You don't have no windows to look out of and stuff like that, but you can actually drive a, a ship or a submarine just like you think about a car. 
you know, when you have a, a highway and things like that, you can follow the highway. Well, when you're underwater, you have a slightly different <laughs> highway involved, but that's all been, you know, that's all been mapped out for you. So we literally have, you know, we have an ability to, you know, to navigate underwater almost like you would if you were above water and things like that. Now, the thing I miss about submarines is that it's nice to be up on, I miss being at sea with the salt spray in your face and stuff like that. Doing 29 knots, you know, with the sea spray in your face is my idea of heaven. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fun. And I, I, I know it sounds strange, but I actually like the smell of diesel fuel. I miss that. I was telling my wife, yeah, burning diesel fuel, because, you know, that's the fuel we use on surface ships. But yeah, I get, I, even the asphalt, you know, they've been working on doing asphalt on the roads and stuff like yeah. that. I like that smell. <laughs> 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 but I mean, it's, it can be fun. There's not a lot of playtime. And unfortunately, when you're on uh, some ships, you may not be able to do port visits. That's a cool thing. And they will advertise you get to do port visits and stuff like that. So I've been to places that are kind of fun. Do you they know, have like special meals and stuff there? On submarines, you eat really well. Surface ships, it's okay. But on a submarine, you really got to take care of your people. So we ain't like, you know, it was difficult not to gain weight because you'd be eating five-star Italian cuisine. Amazing cooks and the bakers are just Wings. unreal. I also have a question. You, you talked about that you had drills. Were there like fire drills and stuff? Around? We would have, we'd have emergency drills. Some were fire. A lot of the times we were flooding. A lot of times there were reactor drills where you'd have a scram where the reactor fails or something like that. Um, but I mean, you're doing that all the time. Because what you want to do is you want to develop a situation where you're no longer having to think about it. You just, this is what we do. Okay, be like, you know, let's say an EMT or something like that coming up on an accident and sees this has happened. It's like they haven't got time to gawk it. You know, somebody that's bleeding, you know, there, they got to do something and they just, they have to not even be thinking about it. So you have to drill to the point where it's like second nature. You just go in and you do it. You don't even have time to think about it. And that's, that's what you try and do. You want to make it so that there's not a lot of, I mean, you want to be innovative and stuff like that, but you don't want to have to make up stuff as you go along as to what you're going to do. Yeah. So I guess to wrap it up, we'll just ask, do you have any like fun facts or something? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> some declassified facts that we might not know. Or classified. <laughs> Uh, I was telling these guys that, you know, you can actually find, you know, um, you can find a lot of information on Jane's fighting ships and things like that as to almost all the navies in the world and stuff like that, the ships that they have available, what their power is, what their range is, what kind of missiles they may have, torpedoes they might have and stuff like that. And it's kind of scary that, you know, that a lot of that stuff is pretty darn accurate. When I was a, a young officer, you know, a lot of that stuff that nowadays is totally unclassified would be classified secret or above. And, you know, classifications go like, you know, unclass, confidential, secret, top secret, and, and then secret, you know, for special compartment information. And a lot of that stuff's becoming more and more declassified all the time. UFOs. <laughs> yeah, they, 51. They, they recently <laughs> declassified that they had alien spottings. The yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's fun to actually talk about some of the things, with especially with physics. You know, when it comes to, you know, I don't care if it's a range of a missile flying out or something like that. The velocities, what angles you would fire at, how far it can go, what kind of force it would impart when it hits. Uh, but also submarine, you know, torpedoes. You know, like I read a lot of military fiction stuff, 
and the guy I actually like a lot is is a is a former Navy uh, commander named Rick Campbell actually. He gives a lot of details about about you know he does a, some people wouldn't really appreciate it because they don't want to know the details of what goes on on a submarine, but he goes into super detail. And for me, that's kind of cool. It brings me back to oh yeah, I remember being a chief of the watch and doing this, or diving officer of the watch and doing this, you know, and that's kind of fun to do. So, uh, classified stuff, you know, I mean, I, I used to have a lot of information about that. Um, it's interesting that, you know, um, my last job that I didn't really care for that much, believe it or not, it, was, it required the highest classification you could almost get, and that was at Central Command down at McDill where I was uh, an assistant to the department, uh, the Navy Navy operations thing. And those are the people that know everything that's going on for the next 96 hours. So notes, anywhere in the Middle East, I, I theoretically had the ability to know what was going on for, you know, in Afghanistan or, you know, uh, Lebanon or something like that. Uh, but it was really boring. I mean, because it was, it was like, just because you know what's going on doesn't mean you enjoy it because there was a lot of, you know, a lot of times where I was given like a, a presentation to somebody above me, even though you didn't, you knew they already knew about it. It's like, I would literally prep for eight hours for for a presentation, to you know, to a guy that already knew all that stuff. It was just like, but you did it daily, and you would prep for eight hours, and all of a sudden, it'd be three minutes long. You prepare for eight hours for for a three minute demo. And they were upset because, oh, your PowerPoint should have had yellow on black instead of <laughs> white on black. And it's like, really? <laughs> that's all you care about? <laughs> yeah, you know, sounds... it used to be kind of funny is that uh, I was there when uh, President Clinton was in office. And every day, you know what they wanted to know? They wanted to know how many Tomahawk land attack missiles that we had in theater at any given moment. That seemed to be all they cared about. Because Tomahawks are used as kind of a... Yeah. It's a land-based missile that we would use, like as a first strike thing. You know, if we were going to go into a place, we'd lead off with tomahawks and stuff like that. So it's like, is that all you really need to know? Is how many T lambs we got in, in theater at any given moment? It's like, it didn't change from the last five days because we haven't fired <laughs> one in the last five years. Okay, really? <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's kind of frustrating to do that kind of stuff. So that, in, even though it was a very prestigious job, is very boring to me. So I, I was glad to get back into act, you know to on a ship again instead of being doing that kind of stuff. I'm not a, I don't like sitting and doing briefings and things like that. But it was kind of cool to know what was going on, you know, at any given moment. Giving those presentations must have been miserable <laughs> every single day. I can barely do one for English once a year. And now you're giving presentations to us as students. Well, I, I, you know, I, I used to have to go in at four o'clock to the office to read literally maybe a thousand messages just so that I, you know, now I'd scan them real quick to say, okay, that's something I need to know. That's something I don't care about. But literally there might be a thousand messages in there that I would have to say, okay, that I do need to look at. And you would have to do that for three or four hours prior to being able to give a briefing. It's like, okay. You know, and every day it's like, really? That, that gets old. So I, that's why I hate Text message stuff like that. That would explain it. Literally, I would explain it. Oh, gosh, I do. You know, there was a time when I was at Winter Park where my boss would say, Would you please read these emails or something like that once in a while? Oh, okay, yeah. 
<laughs> I might not look at my email much. for like Here we six go days again. in a row. <laughs> yeah. Here we I go may again. not look Flashbacks. at an email for like six days and then say, oh, by the way, have you read this email that I sent you a week ago? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> uh, that goes along with the phone. I, I joke around with you guys that my wife would, you know, when I was dating her, I was in Africa. And it would cost literally 30 to $35 a minute to make a phone call from there. To Orlando. No phone calls. No so, phone calls. Zero <laughs> yeah. phone calls. You do one. I did one during that deployment. That was it. After I realized, oh, that was just three hundred bucks down the <laughs> down the oh, drain for a ten minute phone call or something like wow. that. Yeah, so now it's I, like I, so I only talk on the phone once in a while. You know, it's like pennies now for minutes. It doesn't even charge that much. Well, if it's like if for international in, calls, I, I haven't yeah, done international calls. Well, from hotels, hotels the hotels charge you, but I don't know what that's about. So. Not on uh, cell phones for the most part now. They don't really charge you. Now, when you that much, you, it's you expensive. Talk to your dad expensive in Germany once in a while, right, or something like that, or is it? Well, yeah. Whenever my dad, well, the comp- his company pays for that, but like when he'll go places, we um, he gets it's called roaming. Yeah. Where it, like yeah, yeah, you get like. But aren't roaming fees kind of expensive sometimes? I think it depends over, on where you I, I go. I think they give a limited amount of like, yeah, they probably once you go over, I think they, they probably charge like a lot of money over. Yeah, I think it also depends on where you go. Like, for example, like when he goes to China, I'm going to guess it's a little more expensive. Yeah, but, it would make sense. Yeah. But I didn't mention like, this, but port visits <laughs> can be fun. You know, it's, it's kind of yeah. cool to see some places you know you'll never get a chance to see again. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, some place that most people don't even know, the Seychelles was kind of like our... Our Seychelles is in between India and Africa and stuff like that. It's a little tiny set of islands. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's unbelievable. Not I mean, these so islands you know, are... Oh, my God. I read a book about island countries. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, places that, you know, in, you know, I could never afford to fly there and take my wife there or something like that. But to be able to see them for just a couple of days and have those memories. My problem is I never took pictures. You know, I should have done that. I know it's not a picture taker. But I've been to some pretty cool places and then some nasty places like Sudan kind of bites. You know, yeah. I mean, Sudan is just the armpit of the world as far as I'm concerned. It runs deep. It, it runs is deep. really bad. I mean, there's some places that are just, you, I think if, if people in the United States knew the, the challenges that people have in some of these countries, they wouldn't complain as much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, we're very, uh, yeah, we're, we're very blessed and very spoiled. We're very know, spoiled. You know, when, and I, I'm amazed at people that complain about the right civil rights here in the United States, and yet they don't seem to care about whether or not, you know, a girl in Saudi Arabia is even allowed to be educated. You know, and that's yeah. just flabbergasted me that they don't get they don't get uptight about, you know, civil rights being abused in other countries. But heaven mm-hmm. forbid you should, you know, you should even, yeah, you know, do anything yeah. with somebody here in the United States. Uh, yeah, our people's. I think a lot of our citizens don't have much of an eye for what's going on in the rest of the world. They just want to complain about stuff. Yeah, we are entitled. We are entitled country. Spoiled tracks. But some places have been beautiful, and some of them, you know, I wouldn't want to go back to, but it's at least nice to know from a worldview. Yeah, it's Especially from a Christian worldview, hey, you know, we're pretty lucky. Yeah, Yeah, we really are. It's an (laughs) eye-opener, yeah. And compared to other places in the world, we got it pretty good. I think so. So, all right. Episode right. one. There that we concludes go. the Dear Mr. Davis podcast today. I certainly <laughs> didn't expect one. it to take that long, but.